doing today? Come on, glory to God. Well, I thought we might get out of here early today, but that's probably not going to happen. I No, seriously, last night as I'm going over my message, it was, uh, I was like, boy, this is kind of, I don't know, this is a short message for me. Like, this is good. You know, I'll get everybody out on time. And then as I was praying this morning, the Lord's like, hey, make sure you bring up this. Hey, make sure you bring up that. And now as I'm adding everything together, I'm thinking that you guys are in trouble. And then worship went long. And in my opinion, worship should always go long. Worship should always go long. Like, I don't know. I don't know. We're good. We're good. Hey, let's just jump into the message today. I want to talk to you about hope. And so this is our new series. It's called Anchored. And it's, and it's on hope. And the, the series comes from Hebrews chapter 6, which we're going to read in a minute. This hope we have as an anchor for our souls. And so I want to begin by talking about an anchor, right? Because this is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about being anchored. And what is our anchor? Our anchor is our hope. And so this is the function of hope. The function of hope is to anchor us. And so what does an anchor do? You know what? I realize that most of us in here are not boaters. How many of us in here own a boat? I own a boat. My boat's never been in the water. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But, and I have an anchor. And I, and I know how it works. And most of us have an idea of how it works. How many of us have seen Battleship? Right? They're driving along, and then he says, drop the anchor. And the, the anchor hits bottom, and the ship stops, and it's like, no, you know, endo. That's not real, guys. That's not what an anchor's going to do. That's not going to happen. If you were to do that, that anchor would hit, and it would skip along the bottom. Thank you, Hollywood. Not accurate. But what an anchor is supposed to do is once you get out to where you want to be in the ocean, you set down the anchor... And the anchor goes down, and for those of you who aren't boaters, you, you, you probably don't know this, but the best place to put an anchor is where it's mucky and where it's like a clay bottom. It's even better than a sand bottom, and, and it's way better than a rock bottom because the anchor is supposed to dig in. It's supposed to go down and rest in the clay. It's supposed to rest in the muck and the mire, and it's supposed to sit there, and, it, and, and it, when it gets into those places, then it becomes immovable. Then it becomes what the word calls is steadfast. It's a steadfast anchor. And what is, it, what is the anchor supposed to do? So if you've ever been out in a boat, kayak, canoe, anything, you know that once you get out into the water, the wind blows and you drift or the waves cr are, are just, even if they're very light, next thing you know, you're on the other side of the lake. This isn't where I wanted to be. This isn't where I wanted to be. And so an anchor holds us in one place. It holds us where we're supposed to be. And this is the purpose of hope in our life. Come on, this is the purpose of hope in our life. It's to anchor us. It's to hold us fast. It's to hold us secure. Amen? Amen. All right, let's check out some scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this. It says, Now abide these, faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I mentioned this before. We talk all the time about love. I talk all the time about love. I'm never going to stop talking about love. Love, 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 love. We talk about faith all the time. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus commented many times about people's faith. And he talked about how they had great faith, how they had little faith, how they had no faith. 
Lazarus was dead. He couldn't have any faith. All these people and all their different levels of faith. And we talk about faith. Faith, 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 faith. And we should. And we should talk about love. I love to talk about love. Love, love. Love to talk about love. But there's another one that's sandwiched here in between. And I feel, personally, that it gets overlooked a lot. And it's hope. It's hope. What do we know about hope? What is hope? Just by rough count, out of um, Strong's Concordance, there are 600, over 600 mentions of the word love in the Bible. Over 600. And it would be even more if you were to add in all the times where it calls it charity and it, it referring to love, right? Because in, in the King James, it refers to love as charity frequently. Um, faith is mentioned about half as many times, 336 times. And then hope is mentioned less than half of that, only 143 times. And so why do we talk about it a lot less? Because the Bible talks about it a lot less. But I'm here to tell you today that it's of no less importance. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope are still in there. Faith and hope are still in there. And I'm telling you right now, as much as we need love, we have to go in love. And Jesus came and his new commandment was to love. And as much as we have to have faith, and faith is, uh, faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. I'm here to tell you today that without hope, without hope, we're sunk. Without hope, we're sunk. Uh, uh, funny, boating analogy. So if you go to the Strong's Concordance, because I did this this week, if you go to the Strong's Concordance, love takes up, in, when you're in the concordance, it lists each one, right? And so love takes up five columns that's basically like two pages. That's how much you have to read in order to find out every verse in the Bible. That's 600. Faith is three columns. Hope is one column. Oddly enough, uh, as I was thumbing through and I was, I was on my way to love to look all of this stuff up, I, I came across and I, this word... And I just started flipping pages and kept flipping pages and kept flipping pages. And I'm like, when does this word end? That word was Lord. That word was Lord. 23 pages of Lord. Over, over 7,800 mentions of the, of the word Lord throughout the Bible. If we, uh, it's 68 columns. So it's mentioned a whole lot more. And it's not by accident, and I'm not mentioning it this morning just because I happened to thumb across it. But as we're going to see in a moment, it's, it's this idea of lordship that we derive our hope from. And so the question that I want to ask even before we get into the rest of the message today is, have you made Jesus Christ Lord of your life? We all make Jesus Savior of our life, but have we made him Lord? And so this was my story. When I first got saved, I came and I thought, hey, that free ticket to, to heaven sounds really good. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I'll, I'll accept Jesus. But I said, no, God, I'm going to continue to do things my way a bit because, you know, I know what's best for me. Uh-huh. Yep. Until a year and a half later, my life was a train wreck. And then I prayed the real prayer and I said, God, I've made a mess. God, come and help me. And I'll live for you all the days of my life. And I never look back. 
All right, next scripture. Here we go. Hebrews 6.19. This is the verse. This hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters in behind the veil. Come on. Come on. It enters in behind the veil, into the presence of God. This is what hope does for us. I'm, I'm, I'm the only one getting it. Okay, here we go. I've got to do a better job. <laughs> Let's read um, a little bit from Hebrews chapter 6. I don't have this all up here, so if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to read a little bit from chapter 6, and then um, we'll jump back in. And we're going to take a little bit more of an in-depth look at this specific scripture, but it's necessary for us to read the rest of the chapter so that we have a better understanding of this scripture. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Okay, we'll even, you know, Brian is running foundations class this group this semester. Brian Smith is running foundations small group this semester, engage group. And so that is talking about some of the elementary principles. We're talking about faith. We're talking about Bible study. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about uh, uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about all of these things in that class. So if that's you and you want to know more about prayer, you want to know more about reading your Bible, you want to know more about fasting, any of those things, sign up for Brian's group. Oh, by the way, when you sign up for a group, sign up for the one that you want to attend, right? Don't just go and say like, you know, oh, well, I like seven of them and check off seven boxes because that messes us up. What, what we want to do is we can only have a certain number of people in each group. And so if you sign up for seven, we realize like, oh, you're not really going to make it to seven. There's only seven days in the week. And I'm sure you have something to do other than, I mean, there's most of them are on at, you know, we don't even have them seven nights a week. We only have them like four or five nights a week. Sign up for the ones that you plan on attending, not for all of them. It'll help us to better serve everyone. Amen? All right. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Amen? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And those, by the way, those are all the... Uh, those are the elementary principles. We're not going to talk about those again. We're going to go on. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly glyph and have now become partakers of the Holy Spirit and had tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age have come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put to him an open shame. Does this mean that if somebody backslides, they can never come back to God? No, not at all. No, not at all. Not at all. But very much on the contrary. As a matter of fact, we're going to read Luke 15 today. I know. Uh, you just all got worried. <laughs> for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herb useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from the God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected near to be cursed whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work of your labor in which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. 
and that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater thing, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, for an oath for confirmation, I swear to God, right? We don't trust in this anymore because people just use it as as a slang is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, the immutability of his counsel, there we go, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to glide, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast, which enters behind the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus Christ, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay. Now, now that we've read all of Hebrews 6, what is this hope? This hope, right? We, we read the scripture. This hope we have as an anchor for our, whole, our souls. So there is a hope that is an anchor for our souls. What's the hope? What, what did Hebrews 6 just te- talk about? I, I actually highlighted it by repeating a couple of words there you know, to give you a little bit of a clue. Salvation. Salvation. Our salvation becomes an anchor for our souls. This is proof throughout Scripture. Think of Ephesians, uh, the, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, the armor of God. What is it? It's the helmet of salvation. Why do we need, uh, just, just for a moment, associate the garment that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians with the different implements and what they protect? The helmet of salvation protects salvation. Salvation, salvation, salvation protects my mind. It protects my head, but it protects my mind. And so when I begin to think rightly about salvation, when I begin to think rightly about the cross, when I think about, begin to think rightly about the fact that I'm going to live forever in eternity, it protects my thinking. Amen. Wait, what? I thought it protected my head. No, it protects the organ on the inside. It's not just the flesh. God, this is a spiritual, con- this is a spiritual conversation. We're talking about the spiritual dimension. It protects your mind. It protects your thinking. Yeah. Salvation protects your thinking. And so how, I want to ask the question this morning, how much time have you spent thinking about salvation? How much time have you spent thinking about the cross? How much time have you spent thinking about what Jesus did for us that day? I mean, it was 33 years, but we could boil it down to a day. How much time have we spent thinking about eternity? And what it's going to be like for us to live forever in eternity. Pastor Tom's big on, on talking about heaven. He loves to read books on heaven. He, t- he's, he studies it all the time. I, I study heaven a little less than he does. But I still have a great grasp on what eternity is like. When I read the scripture that Paul writes where he, in Philippians where he says, I'd really rather be in heaven, guys. I grabbed a hold of it and I'm like, yeah. And I mean, honestly, if we were to all understand heaven, if we were to all understand the heaven that's there now that we're going to go to as soon as we pass, and the heaven that we're going to dwell in for eternity, 
we would all choose that place over this place. If you wouldn't choose that place over this place, then I'm telling you right now, you don't understand heaven right. I'm not having a discussion here. I'm not, I'm not saying like we could discuss it. No, you just don't understand heaven right. You just need to go back and do a little bit more study. You just need to go back and read the word again. When we understand eternity, when we understand salvation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. As I thought about this, this message this week and this, this hope, I, I was reminded, uh, it was 2001. And um, I remember the year because we, we won the Garden Flower Show that year when we ran our business. And it was that same year that... Um, I was the associate youth leader, like, you know, I was, I was in helping to run the youth group and uh, the leader asked me to, to make a cross. He's like, I got these two four by fours. And I'm like, no, I got some good wood. We had just torn down and recovered some old um, lumber from a barn. And so I had these old barn posts that were like 10 inches wide by 10 inches. And they were long enough. And I said, hey, I got some wood. You just come on by and look at it. Make sure that these are okay, and I'll, and I'll put it together. And we did that for the youth, and so we did. And I remember, uh, so we made the cross, and we brought it in for the night, and we, it was great. Oh, my gosh. And then we wound up putting it up on the platform. Many of you remember, and it, it sat up here on the platform for, I don't know, a number of years, 10 years, something. But I remember the day that I made the cross in my driveway in front of my house and as I'm cutting the wood so that I can fit it together I'm thinking about the cross and I'm thinking about what Jesus did and as I'm putting the nails in to make it authentic I'm thinking about what Jesus did and as I stand it up and I build the base and I place it in front of my home I'm moved in a spiritual way that I can't even begin to explain right now I don't know that I can take you back to that place other than just describing it as I just did. But I, I had a spiritual moment there in my parking lot in front of my home as I built this cross and stood it up. I took pictures of it. That was back in the days when you had to uh, put the film in the camera and take a picture and then bring the film to the drugstore and have it developed. And then you get the pictures back and feel like, how did it come out? Oh, uh, most of them are bad. <laughs> we survived. We live in a new day. But I have pictures of it somewhere. They're not on my phone. <laughs> I took pictures because it was such an Im important moment in my life. There's a song. It, it's, um, Oh, the wonderful cross. Some of you have been saved for more than a minute. You may re remember that song. But there's a couple of really good verses. And one of the verses, it says, um, It bids me come and die that I might live. Yeah, <laughs> this, this song is so old, guys. I, I don't know. I should have looked it up. It's so old. But why do I still remember the, the why do I still remember the words? Because they're true. Because they're true. Because they re reflect the truth of the word. Because they reflect the truth of what salvation is. And so this is the hope that we have: salvation. It's our helmet of salvation. This is the hope that we have. As an anchor for our souls. I don't need those papers. Thank you. As an anchor. We've talked about what an anchor is. What an anchor does. For our souls. 
What is your soul? It's your mind, your emotions, and your intellect. Okay, so it's your emotions. So when your emotions start to get out of hand, when your emotions start to be overwhelmed, when something goes on and you're starting to feel something that you're not liking, don't be tossed to and fro by your emotions. We're meant to have emotions. We are emotional beings. God has emotion. If you think that God doesn't have emotion, go through and read Psalms again. He has emotion. We see God's emotion all throughout the Bible, but especially in Psalms. But our emotions are not supposed to dictate what we do. Our emotions happen in the soulish realm. Our hope of salvation is an anchor for our souls so that our soul doesn't get blown over to the other side of the sea where we're not supposed to be. This hope, our salvation, and, I went on too quickly, and the immutability of God, I repeated this, knowing who God is. We got a, a, a discussion going on um, knowledge of the holy, about who God is, and we just discussed throughout the book, it, we come to the end of it, and we just realized like, we're never ever going to be able to really figure out who God is. I don't even know, honestly, in my personal opinion, once we get to heaven and we've been there 10,000 times, 10,000 years, I still don't know if at that point we'll able to fully understand all of who God is. I don't think that we can because you have to understand he's infinite. We're finite. We will join him in eternity, but we don't join him in his infinitude. There's certain aspects of God that we just don't ever get. We don't ever get the all-knowing power of God. We don't ever get the all-powerful power of God. There's certain things that we don't enter into. And so I don't know that we'll ever be able to fully understand. How can something that's finite understand something that's infinite? Chuck Norris counted to infinity twice. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. It's as an anchor for our souls, guys. The anchor keeps us from being ruled by our emotion. When we see others and we see our situations, the anchor, it's supposed to keep us grounded. When we begin to see things through the lens of the cross, when we begin to see things through the lens of eternity, we will see things differently. We will not be swept away by our emotions. both sure and steadfast. It's steadfast. It's, immu it's immovable. We talked about the anchor. We talked about the best place for the anchor. But this is an anchor that can't be moved. My salvation can't be changed. What does Paul say? Or what does Jesus say? The flesh you can kill, but the spirit, the spirit belongs to the Lord. So you can do whatever you want to me, but I know where my spirit's going. What happens on this earth doesn't, change my eternal destiny it doesn't change my 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 address where i'm going it doesn't change the address uh where where i live uh i get my mail here but i live in heaven and this hope that we have as an anchor for our soul both sure and steadfast enters the presence behind the veil it's through this hope 
uh, in salvation, it's through this understanding of salvation and an understanding of who God is that we are allowed to enter behind the veil into the presence where the presence of God is. This is the way in. This is the way in. Think about salvation. Reflect on salvation. Think about the cross. Think about what Jesus did. Think about God himself. And come to a greater understanding of who he is. Come to a greater understanding of who he is. I want to stop. I want to, I didn't have this in here, but I want to read Luke chapter 15. The Lord threw this out at me at the last minute. Luke chapter 15, there's the parable of the, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost, lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And so the parable of the lost son, beginning in verse 12, you know, you guys, most of you know the parable, right? So there were two sons, and one son says to the dad, hey, give me all my inheritance. I want to go and do something different. And so he goes, and he lives all of his life with uh, sinful living. And so then after, afterwards, it says, uh, we'll catch up now in verse 12, it says, but when he had come to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer, to be long, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so what was the hope of the son? The hope of the son was that he could go back and become a hired servant for his father. His hope was that he wouldn't even be restored to sonship. His hope was to be able to serve in his father's house rather than serve in this stranger's house because he had hope. He had a confident expectation of what God would do, of what the father, of what he knew that his father would do. He knew how his father treated the servants when he was a child, and he basically figured i'm pretty sure that he probably still treats them the same way because my god's a, a good god my my dad i'm i'm mixing it up because jesus actually told it as a parable about god my father is a good father my father's a good father and so i have two different um definitions for hope okay and so i'm going to give them out to you and you can write them down if you want biblical hope the confident expectation of what god has promised the confident expectation of what God has promised and that it will come to pass. That's a good definition. That's a good definition. Hope isn't just, oh, well, you know, are the Chiefs going to win the Super Bowl? Well, I hope so. No. No. No, that's, that's wishful thinking. <laughs> Shots at the Chiefs fans. Are the 49ers going to win the, the Super Bowl? Well, I hope so. Do the Jets stand a chance next year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wishful thinking. The world has made hope wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. I know that this is going to happen. Why do you? Be, I don't, because I have hope. It's a power word. It's not this wishy-washy like, oh, well, I mean, we hope, you know. Your kid going to graduate high school? We hope so. <laughs> no. I have hope in God. You can't take my hope. Here's another definition. I like this one a little bit better. Hope is the belief that the future is going to be better than the present 
And I have the power to help make it so. Hope is the belief that the future is going to be better than the present. And I have the power through the Holy Spirit to help make it so. Yeah. Now we're talking hope. Now we're talking hope that I'm on board with. Now we're talking the kind of hope that I fill my soul with. Now we're talking the kind of hope that I fill my spirit with. Now we're talking the kind of hope that I latch on to as an anchor. And I'm immovable. Why? Because I have hope. No, I have hope, guys. I have hope. But the chances are really, really, really bad. I don't care what the chances are. I know what God said. I know what the promises of God are. I'm not a guy of chances. I'm a guy of the word. What does the word say? What did God say? Let's draw it down to where it really matters, guys. What does the word say? If it's in here, I'm all for it. If it's not in here, let's get rid of it. What are the promises of God? Dig them out. Find them. I challenge you. My wife did this once. She's like, what are the promises of God? I'm going to get a new Bible and I'm going to go through and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to underline every single promise of God. Let me tell you, your hand's going to get tired. That's how many promises are in there. There's not a hundred, there's not a thousand, there's thousands. Thousands and thousands and ten thousands promises from God. I'm, I'm taking them all. I'm not here to take one or two, I'm here to take them all. And I'm not being greedy, you can have them all too. Where was I? We're on hope. Oh, I just gave you the definition, that's good. All right. So the son, he goes to his father because he has a confident expectation of what he's going to do. I'm going to return to my father's house because I know that the servants there, they eat well. I know that my father feeds his servants. I know how my God is. And what does he find when he gets there? And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe. Bring out the best robe. And bring out a ring and put it on him and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a party up in here. For this son of mine was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and he is found. And they began to be merry and have a party. What was his confident expectation? That he would be brought in as a servant. Maybe his father didn't need another servant. But he had a confident expectation that his father would take him in and he'd allow him to be a servant. But what was the reality that he walked into? The reality that he walked into was that while he was still a long way off, you know, a long way off here is if I'm sitting out on the front porch here of the church, I can see about 500 feet down to the part of the street and I can begin to see certain cars pulling up and I'm going... I'm like, oh, Chris is coming today. Oh, I see, I see Erica and her car and her family in several cars. They're coming today. And I see, and I see, and I can see down the street and I can see about 500, maybe 1,000 feet where people start coming. But I'm telling you guys, it's a little different in the, in the Middle East where this scripture was written. It's a diff- little bit different in, this, in, the, in the land of Israel where Jesus wrote this scripture. When you sit out on the front porch, you can see for miles. 
You can see for miles. You know, we used to work in the field back when I ran the nursery, and I could tell uh, my, my father worked and my uncle worked, and so they, they kind of look a lot the same, but they walk different. And so when they were way, way, way far away on the other end of the field, thousands and thousands of feet away, I could tell whether it was my father or whether it was my uncle by the way they walked. And so this son is a ways off. He's a long ways off. I'm, I'm guessing half a mile. I don't know. The father sees him, and he knows it's him. That's my son. I see his shape. I see his walk. I know it's him. It can't be anybody else. And the father gets up. He gets up off the porch, and he goes running. And he embraces the son. He embraces the son. What was the son expecting? What was the son's hope? The son's hope was that he could become a servant that he could be a, a, a slave, a servant in the house. And what does the so father say? You're restored to sonship. What he got was even better than what he expected. This is our God. I'll put my hope in God and no one else. Because I know that what I'm expecting is not even half of what he wants to do. Come on, this is our God. This is our God. He exceeds our expectation. Bring out the best robe. Don't go just get a cheesy old holy robe, but get the best robe. It's the robe of authority. Get the ring. Get the signet ring of authority that when, when the, the ring is pressed into a seal, it, it's a sign of authority. Go get the ring of authority and put sandals on his feet and kill the fattened calf. You know, we eat meat here all the time. Five, th we, we would eat meat, I don't know, last year I think we, we averaged like four or five times a week. We eat beef all the time. I love beef. Not so. Not so in Israel. But you're lucky to get it once a week. And the fattened calf, that's reserved for very, very, very special days. And so when the, when the son comes home and he says, kill the fattened calf. He didn't say pull out the tenderloin. He said, pull, kill the fattened calf. We're having veal tonight, guys. It's a party. I'm not going to talk about the older son. It's great. It's great. It's great addition, but we've got to move through this. Psalm 42, verse 5. says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I love the rawness of David in this scripture. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Another translation says, why are you depressed? Have you been there? I've been there. Have you been there? I've been there. I get there. I get to these places where I allow my emotions to, to run. I allow my thoughts to run. And you get to this place. David says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. What's our hope? Our hope is in God. My hope is not in, my, in myself. My hope is not in my abilities. My hope is not in the memory that God has given me to remember Scripture. My hope is not in my, the, the strength that God has given me to, in my hands to do labor. My hope is in God and in God alone. Psalm 122. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It comes from God. My hope is in God. My hope is only ever in God. Why? For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. My hope is in God, and I'm going to continue to worship Him. 
My hope is in God because I'm going to be able to continue to worship Him. For what? For the help of His countenance. Proverbs thirteen twelve says this. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And so many of us, you've had hopes and you've placed hopes on things rather than placing your hope in God. Or maybe you've placed your hope in God while you've had faith for certain things that haven't come to pass. And next week we're going to talk a little bit more about the relationship between faith and hope and how that works. But when we believe God for something, we, when we have a confident expectation of something that's going to happen and it doesn't happen, that's hope deferred and it can make our heart sick. It can make our heart sick. It can make our spirit sick. It can make our soul not happy. It can make our soul in anguish. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Tree of life is only mentioned three times in the Bible. It's mentioned in Genesis, it's mentioned in Revelation, and it's mentioned right here when hopes become fulfilled. Wow. Wow. Talk about the power of a hope filled, being fulfilled. Talk about the power of a desire being filled. It's a tree of life. We only read of this two other times, guys. The Garden of Eden and Book of Revelation in the New Jerusalem. That's it. Other than that, the only way to get the tree of life is to have a desire fulfilled. I want to read you one more scripture and then we're going to take communion. Psalm 34, 37 verse 4 says this. It says, Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Let's go back and read the last scripture again. Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. I believe this is a corresponding scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a secret here that I need, to, need you to see. And so I'm going to deliberately point it out to you. The delighter delights without having desires fulfilled. The delighting in the Lord comes first. Placing our hope in God comes first. Making our affection Jesus comes first, comes first, comes first. This is step one. How many of you want to have more hope? How many of you want to have your desires fulfilled? How many of you want to have everything that life has to offer? Step one is, step one is, and we can, we can support this like with half of the scriptures in the Bible. I mean, I could quote scripture here for the rest of the day if you want. The step one is delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. What did Jesus say? The, the greatest commandment was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What does that mean? It means delight yourself in the Lord. What did Jesus say when he was talking in Matthew chapter 6? He says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
right? What, delight yourself in the Lord. And then what? And then all of these things will be added unto you. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Instead, we're like, here's my heart and it's empty. We run around, we're like, throw this in there. Throw that in there. Throw this in there. I need something else. None of this is working. That's because you chose the wrong thing. It's one thing. It's him. When we take God and we put him in there, suddenly our heart becomes full. We don't even need anything else. I could care if I have anything else. I've, I've become Mary. I'm, I'm Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. One thing. She, is, she has chosen this one thing and it will not be taken away from her. Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That shall I seek that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. It just doesn't change. I, maybe you'll get tired of my message. I hope you don't. I hope you just join me in it. Like make it the desire of your heart. Make it the desire of your heart. Can I tell you why my, the desires of my heart have been fulfilled? Can, you, can I tell you why my heart is so full right now? Years and years and years ago, I read through the, the scriptures for the first time. And the scripture that jumps out at me is Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And I said, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm doing that. I will seek first the kingdom of God. I will delight myself in the Lord. It's, just, it's different words, same, same message. I'm so going to delight myself in the Lord. Everything else is just going to grow strange around me. The things of the world grow strangely dim. I think that's from um, that old hymn. It is well with my soul, maybe. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Things grow strangely dim. I just don't care anymore. I'm, football, I'll watch the game next week. I, I'm gonna, I, and I'll root, and I'll have a lot of fun with it. I will, trust me. If you haven't watched a football game at my house, you don't know. <laughs> a few years ago when uh, the Chiefs played the Bills and that the score changed, what, six times in four minutes, two minutes? It was crazy. We were literally on our feet. Like, neither one of us are Chiefs or Bills fans. I mean, at the time, Zach wasn't part of the picture yet. And so neither one of us are Chiefs or Bills fans. And we're standing on our feet, cheering and screaming. And we're like, ah! <laughs> Best game ever. I'm going to have fun next week. But I'm going to have fun even though neither one of them are my teams. The Broncos aren't playing. I want to ask you a question. How much do you enjoy God? How much do you just enjoy Him? You know, I can do a lot of things with my wife. I can do things for her. She can do things for me. But then there's a time where we just sit and we just enjoy one another. And it's not about accomplishing anything. The father was just as happy with Jesus when he was asleep in the boat as he was when he was raising the dead. The father was just as happy with Jesus when he was asleep in the stern of the boat as he was when he was raising the dead. Because it's not about performance. Before he ever did anything, in Matthew chapter 4, he gets baptized, he comes up out of the water, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What, he, what had he done? Nothing. Hadn't done anything yet. Hadn't even done one public miracle yet. How much time do we spend just 
enjoying God. It takes time. This is a process. You have to first learn who He is. <laughs> right? If, you, if it's not in you, get it in you. If you have to eat the pages, eat it. I don't think that'll work. I've tried it. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I have like put pieces of paper in my mouth. I, chew on, I used to chew on paper frequently. telling you don't you don't remember what's written there read it and read it again and even if you're not remembering it continue to read it because even if you're not remembering what's written you're going to remember the import of what it says for years ago my wife would say to me i don't know scripture the same way you do and i'm like you do know scripture you just know you, do, you know the entire meaning of what it's saying you just don't know exactly how it says it but it's the same thing you know scripture you find out, you know what? Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you find life, but they are that which points to me. This book is here to teach us who Jesus is. It's so that we can come to know him. If you want to know him, you just pick this up and you just start reading it over and over and over again. And don't read the Old Testament until you've read the New Testament a hundred times. I'm not saying you can't go there. I'm just saying, like, have balance. hundred to one. <laughs> It's a much different story. Don't get hung up in the Old Testament. Delight yourself in the Lord. I want to invite you today. If you're here today, we're going to take communion in a minute. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know God. I've never walked with God. I've never made a decision to follow God. I want to invite you to follow God today. Maybe it'll be the very first time that you ever pray a prayer and choose to follow God. That's great. We want to celebrate with you. And that is the best decision that you will ever make. And in a moment, I'm going to talk, we're going to take communion. We're going to talk more about like if you're renewing your commitment to God today. But today, right now, I just want to, I want to pray for if you've never made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come and live inside my heart, and that you would help me live for you all of the days of my life. God, I believe you died for me and my sins so that I can live forever with you in heaven, that I would be healed in my physical body, and that I would be delivered from torment. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer, I want you to click, uh, I just, today I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. If you check that card, I'm going to send you some information that tells you what your next steps are, and um, I'm going to send... Uh, your first and most important next step is to find a great church. If you like it here, we'd love to have you here. If not, we'll recommend another church for you. I want to take communion, and I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner <clears throat> will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we, that we may not be condemned with this world. And so as we get ready to take communion today, I want to just, I want us all to just reflect. As the word says, it says, let a man examine himself. Right? Because we haven't, because we've failed to examine ourselves. Many are weak, many are sick, many have died prematurely. So let's take a moment and let's examine ourselves. Let's examine our hearts before God. And so this message on hope today, where have we placed our hope? If it wasn't in God, there's forgiveness with him. And his mercies are new every morning. If we ask for forgiveness, he is willing to forgive. And so I want to I ask you to just take a moment and ask yourself, say, God, where have I placed my hope? Has my hope been in God? Have I put my hope in the strength of my hand? Have I put my strength in the thoughts of my mind? Have I put my strength in my connections with others? Have I put my hope in my education? Have I put my hope in my location? all kinds of things that we can wrongly put our hope in. Lord, as we take this bread this morning, we remember your cross. We remember how you suffered, how you died, how you were buried, and how on the third day you rose again in fulfillment of all that you had said, in fulfillment of all of the scriptures. So God, we take this body right now, remembering what you did for us. And God, even as we take this representation of your body this morning, we receive every promise that was offered through it. Promises of healing, promises of fullness, promises of overflowing. Jesus, we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your love. We take it together. like the story of the lost son that we read there is nothing that you can do to remove yourself from the love of God there is nothing that you can do to cause God to love you anymore and there is nothing that you could ever do to cause God to love you any less his mercies are new every morning and 
he loves to forgive when we repent. So if you're here today and God has put anything on your heart, just simply bring it before him and say, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And the answer is the answer of the father who was sitting on the porch watching. And as soon as he saw the son coming, he ran to him. And the son asked, make me a servant. And the father said, no, you're restored to sonship. We're going to celebrate. So as you ask God for forgiveness, he says, yeah, I'll forgive you, but here's a free gift too. It may be the strength to not it may be the strength by grace to not do that thing again. It may be the grace by God to uh, let go of that sin that's been holding on to you for so long. Those are all things that are accomplished when we simply repent. When we simply come to him and say, God, it's not my way anymore. It's your way. I'm done with my way. I want your will. God, we come together and we take this cup of your blood in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lori, if you'll come receive the offering this morning. This week, guys, remember your salvation. Maybe it's not something that you spend a lot of time thinking about, but I want to encourage you, spend time thinking about salvation and what it means that you're saved and what Jesus did on the cross. Spend some time thinking about that. And this week, if you haven't done it before, delight yourself in the Lord. Figure out what that means. Figure out what that looks like. You, you may take some time, but spend some time this week delighting yourself in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt. That was awesome. One of the ways we can delight ourselves in the Lord is by giving. Such an honor and privilege to give. Seems completely opposite to what we'd want to do. I know personally sometimes when I'm feeling a little crunch with my faith or financially, I was like, okay, I'm going to give more. Because it doesn't make sense to, right? We serve an opposite kingdom. So I just want to encourage you to give. Redeeming Love is a great giving church. You look on the screens, there's four different ways to give here at Redeeming Love. And i like to share just a scripture. I love this in the Passion. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. All because God loves hilarious generosity. Come on! We can be excited about giving. We can laugh and rejoice, just like that merry heart that Pastor Matt was just talking about. So I just encourage you to continue what you're great at doing, Redeeming Love, and that's to give. 
So, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity we do have to give. And I bless this offering. I bless these tithes. I thank you, God, that we can give hilariously from our hearts because it makes no sense to the world. So, Lord, we just thank you. We pray your blessing upon this seed that gets sown from both those that are receiving and those that are giving. And we bless it all in the name of Jesus. And let me just remind you that if you are a guest, please stop at our Connect Corner and get your free T-shirt. And our prayer and healing teams will be available under the screens. And we will see you Wednesday night for Holy Spirit Encounter Night. Thank you. God bless.